Hey everybody, welcome to the Gen Church Midweek Podcast, a podcast about everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come. My name is John, I'm the engagement pastor, and across the screen from me and his household with another set of headphones on is Kyle Davies. Yeah, we're, we're Zooming again, man. We're off and rolling, you I know. know right? Got the Zoom going, you got your headphones on, I got my coffee, it's a good day, yeah. right? You know, I realize that I feel like my background, while it's the same, is always different because I always have like different paperwork and stuff laying. I, mean, over. I never know what you're going to have laying over on on your bed over there. Sometimes it's your backpack because it's like the like the highlighter green that yes. people can spot from a distance. Oh yeah. yes, it's almost like I need something like super creative to like to put there and just keep changing it up. But yeah. no, I'll just I'll keep leaving my work stuff there until. Know. You know, that that's what I'm rotating through rather than anything super creative. Yeah, I got you. Our walls don't change much anymore. Hannah's kind of got uh, happy with what it is. So it's probably going to stay like this for a little bit longer. So Kyle, I, I got to ask you, mostly because um, I've, I've noticed something about some of your different teachings and you always have some of the most random illustrations in my mind. Um, I, first off, I got to know, are these actually written down and prepared or are some of them on the fly? Well, John, you actually know the answer to that question because you see my teaching manuscript each and every week. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out you on that one. But so most of the time they are written down in some version, depending on the room. It depends mm. on how they, how they come out. So the, the Alice in Wonderland opening that was one that I had read from a commentary, just an older commentary that was just looking at kind of the upside down nature of the whole, whole of Matthew's gospel. And I thought it fit perfectly for, mm-hmm. for this section. Uh, the sword one that I used this week, uh, dude, I just tell you, sometimes my mind connects <laughs> random thoughts. And that has just always been one where I thought it was just specifically for me, so powerful and needed in terms of like, I just, that propensity to fight or defend or go on the attack instead of like, no, just, just lay the sword down. And if you stick it in the ground, it looks like a, looks like a cross. So I love it, man. I mean, it just, it randomly fits and it, it's like, all right, man, you just, you go for it. I'm going to kind of open this up. I know we've been talking about this series of rain and God in the midst of, what is it? How have we been saying it? Got in the midst of options. Got in a world of options, man. Got in a world of options. That was a word off. It was pretty close. But let me ask you. So we've been kind of hitting on that a bit of the concept of the options of the world. And uh, we've been spending a lot more time talking about it in like the kind of biblical time of what Mm -hmm. they were going through there in Caesarea Philippi, like the options in which they had around them. Kyle, like, what are what would you kind of identify as the options in our world today, or maybe even some of the the narratives um, that are presented, but have some of the faulty options in our own world? Yeah, absolutely. So the the five narratives that I think drive and present themselves as different options is specifically in different parts of the country. They manifest themselves in different ways, but they can be traced back to five just dominant narratives and authors and pastors such as like Tim Keller and Matt Chandler 
and, and a few others have have shared these and so um these aren't unique to to me but there there's some version mark sayers john mark comer they, they've put these out there and what they're what they're saying is stories influence us and so the stories that our culture is telling will present themselves as in different ways and then as we live that out practically we will choose certain things and so we will choose lesser options or versions of of basically the the dominant story that we are supposed to be living by we want to live by the story of the bible so all that aside here are the five the first one is consumerism that the good life means that you have the kind of stuff that people like would look to you and see the meaning of life is getting more stuff. It just makes you happy. So the more stuff you have, the material things that so you have, like that'll, that, that makes life good. So just get a bunch of stuff, uh, vacation, uh, material things. Th that's what makes life good. The next thing is uh, secularism. All that, all there is, is what you can see and verify. The happier you will be is once you realize there is no supernaturalism. Uh, the, the next one, uh, they have, use the term nationalism and i've probably i've taken that term and i've almost evolved it and what, the way i would see it is almost politicism that the idea is that if we have the right political leaders or the right political system uh that the purity of that system will make our world a better place and so politicism uh the next one is progressivism uh just if that if we just keep moving forward and making progress we will move our way towards a utopia so like with, whether that's with technology or just other advancements like like at some point we're going to re reach utopia um mm -hmm. by human effort and by moving progress and then the fifth one uh, is cynicism is nothing can be trusted everyone is in it for their own gain nothing is beautiful doubt uh, anything good or beautiful the only trusted source is self and so all of those five you see aspects of what people are believing in terms of those narratives yeah. specifically it plays out on social media that's the easiest place to see where it plays out go yeah. to any of your friends uh go to to any people in your life or even your own and look at the the type of like your most recent posts yeah. and if they are cynical of like whether they're conspiracy theories or like, or they're political or they're about like vacations or they're about like technology or certain type of movies. What you will see is you will see a pattern that uh, you believe that the world is all corrupt and no one can be trusted. And so everyone's out for themselves or uh, what we need is we need to just, we just need to move towards progress or we just need to get it right. Or listen, I just, we just need to escape this whole thing and let's just get a bunch of uh, vacation struggling together. Let's, let's get a bunch of like, whether it's concerts or yeah, just get stuff like to, to, to make you happy. And so those dominant narratives present themselves as, I even gave some specifics there, vacations, yeah. technology, you know, different changes in society that if if we can just get that then the life that we have will be good in some form those are all settling for lesser options so when we are forced with those narratives and those options what we have to do is say is this an option that is rooted in uh, the way of jesus or is this an option that's rooted in a lesser narrative mm. Uh, I think there was something at the beginning of that in which you were talking about. I've heard you kind of 
mentioned something like this before of the idea that stories influence us. Mm. And I, I think that's very true because whatever story is dominant over our life, like what has our awareness is going to be who we're going to become, what has our attention, what is driving our life, what we're spending time and putting effort into is ultimately going to shape and consume what we do think about say and how we act and interact with others so let me let me kind of bring this around uh, because one of the things in which we see is we see peter and jesus having this conversation together amidst all the other options and peter says one thing right mm-hmm. and then says uh you get just a little bit further ahead and he says something wrong um, Kyle, like in this moment, we see Peter go from like highlight, like, heck yeah, I got all the answers right to, oh no, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. What do we begin to see in this, this rebuke and um, in this weird moment of Jesus saying, hey, don't, don't talk about me yet. And like, what, like, why do we begin to see that kind of happen here like does jesus not want to get his story across is is he kind of like hey hold on like maybe our story later down the road like what's what's going on here it's a strange paradox and it's a shocking encounter because you would think that now that peter has the right uh identification of who jesus is that jesus would be like okay now i want you to share that but instead he puts the pause on peter and his disciples and it shows in that next interaction when, when Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, no, you're not going to suffer and die. The reason why this is so paradoxical is this is actually the first time that in Matthew's gospel that he's talked about him going to the cross. Again, he's pulled him way up north to Caesarea Philippi, and he has said, okay, I'm going to the cross. And so Jesus' emphasis here is it's not merely that you've identified me right but, but the way in which I will communicate my kingship to the rest of the world is vitally important. And because the options of, of the world still hold influence, you're going to confuse the way of the options, like the, the, those other stories, those narratives, and the way that they would want kingship to be exercised. You're going to confuse that with the way that, that God says that the kingship will be exercised. And that's where I pointed people back to the Old Testament. And so what Jesus is really concerned about is he's saying, like, I haven't even explained to you, like, why and like, what is about to happen, and how that actually communicates the best version of God designed kingship uh, to the world. And so just because you've got that label, right, that I've identified, right, you don't fully understand the implications. And so it is a little bit paradoxical. And in fact, that Jesus is like pumping the brakes, but we immediately see why he's pumping the brakes. It's because Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, no. And Jesus is like, no, like get behind me, Satan. And, and you've got to understand what it really means to follow. You've got to understand the pattern that I'm about to put forward and communicate to you before you go further with this announcement that I am the Messiah, I am the King, I am the Christ, I'm the one who's going to bring this rescue and renewal. And again, they're thinking in a very literal sense, in a very, you know, political sense of like, let's erect boundaries, let's get the purity of our land, let's kick all these infidels out. 
Jesus goes on the throne. Like, yeah, yeah. Ghosted on the throne. It's, it's, it's the backwards of like the triumphal entry. So where Jesus comes in on a donkey, like and there's all these palm branches. The way in which Peter probably imagined it is Jesus riding in on a horse with like, uh, like with Herod and Pilate and all these other people like behind him saying like, yes, this is the new ruler and this is who we're about. So it's, it's yeah. contrasting images. And again, it's, it's the story that, that the Jews have been telling themselves that Jesus is having to deconstruct. But what's fascinating is he doesn't deconstruct with necessarily some political philosophy or anything. Mm-hmm. He actually deconstructs it with the word of God and, and points them back to here's the pattern. Here's why it's, it's so important. And so yeah. that really sets the table for next week when Jesus says, now, because I am going to do this and this is my way, here's what it means for you. So to even say that up to say, I tried to even in this week's teaching to say, this is the pattern of Jesus. And this is some of the things that Jesus was doing in that moment, facing the contrary options. And even someone who thought they were hearing from God, but weren't completely understanding God's concerns versus man's concerns. And then as Jesus describes that them to to Peter, he's then going to turn it around and say, okay, here's what it means for you. And so that's what we're going to look up, look at in our final week of this rain teaching series. And it's, it's going to be just flat out. It's going to be challenging. It's going to push us. And I, I think there's even some things that I said this week that probably probably stretch some people in terms of creating space for grace because yeah. the options of our world want us to to leverage shame yeah. rather than leverage grace hmm. I, I think that's said uh, i like that um i think one of the things that i was processing is kind of this heater interaction and the whole the whole thing behind it is what we've talked a lot about is this upside down um, idea of how Jesus, like how Jesus saw kingship that mm-hmm. is it's not a physical manifestation of rulership. And cause I mean, even when you go back to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, Satan literally says, I will give you all of this. And he's pointing out to the different lands. And Jesus says, that's not what it's all about. It's not a physical earthly rule where I sit on the throne. And you see this happening again in his conversation with Peter, with one of his disciples. And you're like, Peter, you know, you get one thing right, you take another step back. But I think you, I think you made a really good connection of, I mean, this is some stuff that we talk about of like, as you begin to know Jesus, of understanding, communicating him in the proper way. And so it's even not necessarily like, uh, you had a quote, what was, um, you had a quote that kind of tied in these two things of the understanding and the actions of it. Do you remember what that was? Yeah. Let me, let me see if I can pull that up. Cause I think someone had actually asked about that and I sent it to him. Um, the way in which Jesus confirms his kingship to the disciples in the world is just as important as the recognition of Jesus as King. So the, is that, is that what you're referring yeah. to is, is the way in which Jesus is going to go about his his kingship is just as important as the fact of like, Hey, Jesus, you're King. And clearly I think we can see the, the connection for us because often we, we disconnect the identification of Jesus as King in our life for the, just the actions that 
that are Jesus deems incompatible with his will and his way, but yet somehow because we've identified Jesus as king, it makes these actions acceptable, but our actions communicate that we're settling for a lesser version of Jesus as king. Yeah, it's one of the things of what James talks about, like faith and works, like your words and your actions, like if they aren't in alignment, then like what, like something's going off here. It's why like one of the things we talk about is taking on Jesus' priority and characteristics because it's a holistic uh, taking over of the way in which I think and I process through, I talk with others in the way I lift things out. Like it's going to change every fold of my life around that. And it's going to be very, what we've talked about, it's upside down and different from the culture in which we see, we hear, and we know about around us. And so you began talking about um, this idea of flipping man's concerns and God's concerns. Like they, they are polar opposites. Uh, well, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty opposite, just in the way in which our culture goes about life today. And one of the ways in which you began to show that was through this idea of cancel uh, culture. Mm. Um, do you want to go, uh, if you had to tell us what is cancel culture, what would you say? Basically people dig up something from your past and they shame you for it and say that everyone needs to boycott you. Um, they need to, they need to continue to shame you. And so usually this results in people losing their jobs. If they're a figure that they're forced to resign in some way, if they're like, if they're a media personality, then their show show literally gets canceled. Uh, if yeah. they, if like any type of TV show. So, so basically it's something happened in your past that people deem socially unacceptable. They bring that out and they constantly say how that's inconsistent with our current society. And therefore like you're a horrible, awful person. And so cancel culture in effect crushes the individual it, it's, it goes beyond condemning the action. Uh, it, actually, it actually attempts to literally crush and shame the person, not simply just, uh, just say that act was, was awful. Yeah, I think one of the ones that I remember from just kind of recent times, like uh, it, it was a little bit more ago, but I remember the, uh, the whole James Gunn, the guy uh, – for Guardians of the Galaxy who wrote that and people dug up tweets that he had from mm. when he was younger. And it was very much like in reaction to stuff that he tweeted out a long time ago, it was, all right, you're off the project. You're not making movies anymore for Disney and all this stuff. And I remember mm -hmm. a lot of the backlash in which that came with that. And I think it was interesting when you began to kind of, how do, how do we as Christians uh, process through this concept of shame and, um, honestly, sinful actions in our world because they're always there. They're present within us. They're present in our neighbor, the people we interact on an everyday basis. We're going to come across, across sin in every form of our life. And how do we respond and follow in the way of Jesus and how he interacts with that? And I think one of the things that you, you kind of began to tee this up um, is how we begin to begin to trust in the cross and how Jesus crushed sin, uh, shame, and guilt. And one of the things about what you, you started saying about him and Peter is that in that moment, he doesn't cancel Peter, throw him away and say, yeah, you just stay up here with all the other options since that's what you want to be with. He says, no, like continue to follow me, yeah. continue to come along and let's grow and work 
together. And you see Jesus's strength and directness and words. So let's not, in, in doing this, and what Jesus does is he, he identifies where Peter has misstepped. So it's not as we try to be a counterculture to cancel culture. It's not that we pretend like sin doesn't exist. We have to use strong language and say, this is wrong. The yes. difference between cancel culture and really this grace culture that we want to that we want to create is that we don't we don't eliminate the person in terms of move them from a place of re relational distance and also because of that the reason why grace is so powerful is because Christians are supposed to forgive and we're not supposed to measure people by the sum total of their actions and we're supposed to remember that we were extended grace and forgiveness while we were still in our sin. And yeah. so our shame and our guilt and that sin has been eliminated through, through Jesus. And so we are to do that with others. So, but it doesn't, we don't pretend like that, that there's mistakes that like yeah. the sin is, isn't there. But what we, what we do is we, we use strong words and we say, this is wrong but we don't cancel the person. We, we don't crush the person for that mistake. What we say is we identify that mistake and we say, okay, but we're going to put you in proper relation to, we want to bring you in a proper relation, proper proximity to Jesus and even maintain relationship with you. There are only special circumstances in the scripture where someone who is unapologetic in terms of something that is explicitly sin is unrepentant then there's supposed to be a level of relational distance because the Christian community is supposed to be so radical in terms of forgiveness and grace that it's mm -hmm. unlike anything that the world has to offer. Yeah. And so really in this moment of, of cancel culture, we can attack sin with, with a curiosity unknown to, to mankind, but at the same time, we can love the person with a curiosity unknown to mankind rather than saying, yep, that person's awful because they said one tweet or they liked a couple tweets or they, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever the circumstances is. And a lot of times, even in our cancel culture is it's not even always actions that we're canceling people from. It's, it's, it's through some means of like social, like social media. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a fascinating dynamic yeah. too. Um, that's probably a topic for, for another day. But I, I really think that we have to create space in our own lives to where we don't crush other people, but yeah. we, what we choose to give them uh, grace, which is um, just persistent, really favor. I mean, it's, it's just, you're going after them with uh, just, just this favor and this kindness that, that overwhelms anything that they, that they've done. Yeah. I, I think you, I think you said it really well that in the midst of this, that we as everyday followers, it's not that, it doesn't mean that we condone or ignore the actions that were taken, but rather we create room to invite them in for reconciliation and rescue through grace. Because what we begin to see is uh, kind of going back to the story that influences the narrative that we see in who Jesus is, is that he continually makes room. He continually invites in and if you notice, as he goes throughout the gospel in a very fun way, is that he, he rubs some of the religious figures in a wrong way because the people in which he's inviting in, and not even him just inviting in, he's literally going and sitting down to eat with mm -hmm. is some of the most sinful 
outcast people on the margins that people are like, why are you with them? Like us as religious people, we don't interact with them because of what they do. And Jesus like, I like, I didn't come for those who, who think they're righteous. I came for those who are in need, for those who are sinful, for those who are broken to rescue and bring them back into the family, to renew them into who they are to be. And so Kyle, I, there was, there was a passage in which you gave us for homework and it has some of this theme in, in it. So what, what is your connection with, was it Isaiah 52 and 53? Yeah. Is that right? Yep. So what is your connection with that and why you're wanting people to go read that this week? Specifically, it will communicate the way in which Jesus rules and wields power. And so when we learn something about someone else, a mistake, a fear, or a failure. I mean, I, I've been watching uh, the show Suits. I've mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. It's just one of my one of my favorite shows. But what happens is when they dig up about with someone's past, when they find out something that they've maybe done unethical or illegal, what they usually do is they blackmail them to get to win a case, to get something right. To and what they do is they exercise what they know to, to gain the upper hand, to advance their own cause. What we have to do is what we see is Jesus is fully aware of our sin and mistakes and he doesn't use it against us. He doesn't wield that power and that knowledge against us, but actually says, Hey, you've done something wrong and there is either a debt to be paid or there's consequences to be had, or, you know, you owe someone something hey, I'm actually going to be one, the one to pay that for you. So it's, it's, it's a counterintuitive. It's an upside down way of wielding power. It's when you learn of something, it's when you have a power that you can lord and hold over people to get your way. It's actually, you, you do something to alleviate that pressure, to yeah. eliminate that. And that's what we see that Jesus actually does on the cross. And so Isaiah 52 and 53 communicates the way in which Jesus wields his power and his lordship, it's not as someone who says, hey, I'm going to use your suffering to gain me more power, but actually I'm going to, to, to lay down my life to eliminate the power that others have over you, which will bring then freedom, that renewal, that rescue. And that's what that rescue is. It's the elimination of, of, of the, the consequences of guilt and shame. And, and power that people have have over you. And so what we what we really want to do is we want to zoom in on that and we want to say, okay, again, this leads up to next week. If this is the way in which Jesus, the Lord of the universe, wields power as his followers, yeah. we need to pattern ourselves after him. So really it's 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 both a a seeing the way in which Jesus communicates his kingship and it's a setup for how Jesus challenges his followers to, to leverage their power, not for one of blackmail, not for one of shame, but for one of, of grace and of willingly entering into suffering for the sake of others. Dude, I, I think that's a really, really good illustration. And as soon as you brought that up, me and Hannah, uh, one of our uh, things we've been listening to and watching uh, basically nonstop is we've gotten really into Hamilton. If you yeah. haven't watched it yet, Kyle. I tried. Are you a musical guy? No, I tried. I cannot get into it. We love musicals. So for us, it was, it was fun. It was different. But I even remember there's a, there's a moment in 
in the story. I don't know how far you've gotten, but I'm going to completely spoil it for you. It's okay. So you don't really, you're not super into it. But there's a moment in which you get into the second act. It's about halfway through, and it's just kind of this pivotal moment where um, Alexander Hamilton's confronted by some of the other guys about something he has done. He, he cheated on his wife, and they found out about it. And he ends up writing what's called the Reynolds pamphlet, where he basically writes down what he's done in his attempt to write his way out. And everyone's like, he just confessed to like this terrible thing that he's done. And then there goes into this whole rift of a song where it's basically them just kind of like throwing around the pamphlets around him and singing this whole thing of, you're never gonna be president now because of what you've done kind of thing. And it's them lording over this sin and what he's done and how that's shaping his life. And what, what I really love is one of the things that uh, we communicate, and it's been a value of generations, and something we've talked about a lot recently, is this concept of story over sin. Mm. And this is why we begin to um, talk about this more and more, why we want to hear it in other people's life, why we want people to share their story, is because like the dominant story is how Jesus shapes and rescues and renews his people in the midst of their sin, that the sin doesn't define you, rather it's what Jesus is doing in our life. But I think something in which we talked about this weekend is really important for us as we begin to try to see this story over the sin in our world. And it's one that you talked about a lot. It's spirit over self. And you began talking about this of how um, in the midst of spirit over self, we put God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own. Like we've talked about that a lot, but there's the second part of it where it says, as we daily depend on mm. him, where we live work and play and it brings about that everyday life aspect and so kyle like how how do we begin to take this into our everyday yeah you i like how you weave the two values together because they really do they complement each other we've got to put god's story over over our sin so we want to listen to other people's stories before we write them off because of our sin but also the way in which that's exercised is spirit over self so we have to be in tune with God. So yeah. those in the moments when you've learned about, you know, someone's sin or they've confessed something or so instead of leveraging it for your own power and for your gain, you're to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do I do in the midst of this? And more often than not, it will be a call to forgiveness, a call to a call to grace, a call to uh, maybe just even just acknowledgement that what they did was wrong, but in, in verbally saying that to them, but not, but not eliminating that relationship, not cutting out the negativity as some of what's like said in our world is people just say, well, just cut out the negativity, just block them, unsubscribe, get rid of it. And it's like, no, that's, that's the elimination of a relationship. That's part participating in cancel culture. Yeah. And so to daily depend on God, it's you really have to wake up each and every day and, and trust that, that the Holy Spirit is with you mm -hmm. just as if as Jesus was with his disciples and, yeah. and, and allow the Holy Spirit to use God's word to point you in the right direction. So when you're facing that moment of what should I do, you're asking the Holy Spirit to say, help me, guide me, like what do you want in this moment? And the reason it's that dependence is sometimes in our life, we get on autopilot and we just go and we just go and we go. And, and what we're doing is we're just relying on self. Well, if it's up to me, this is what I would do. 
Well, just even in that sentiment and that statement right there, what you're saying is if it was up to me. And so you're, you're putting self over, over spirit. And so we have to truly be able to recognize and be aware when we're about to make choices, have we invited the Holy Spirit into that? Have we asked uh, him to give us guidance and, and really just, just shape us and say, spirit, we need you give us guidance. How should I interact with that person? And even as we're walking by the spirit in that way, the spirit will give us certain promptings that maybe would take us out of our comfort zone, would take us into conversations with others, which will actually uh, move us to creating that space for grace rather than just, well, I'm just going to stay in my lane and do my thing and, you know, let them do their thing. Kind of you do you, I'll do me. And you just stay in your lanes. And so when you live by the spirit, you're going to cross into other lanes. You're going to get into other conversations. You're going to insert yourself into conversations, not for your own gain and for your own power, but for the sake of others. And so you really have to have a level of, of God dependence. And that starts whether it's either morning or evening and even throughout the day, having checkpoints of saying, okay, have I gone through this period of, of my day with, uh, with God or, or kind of on autopilot. Uh, I use an app, uh, that gives me about three to four times a day where it says, Hey, it's time to pray. And just even that simple notification, uh, that, that daily office, that daily prayer at different times jogs my memory to say, Oh yeah. Like, have I just been cruising and doing what I want to do is, or, or have I, have I truly allowed the Holy spirit to guide me, uh, in my checklist? I like that. So let, let's kind of get to the main, kind of your main takeaway for this week. And it was this, this idea of creating space for grace. And I know you, you kind of talked about it a little bit this week, but Kyle, what, what is a really practical way in our everyday life that this, this can be manifested, this can look, ways in which we can begin to do this, of literally making space for grace? Like what, what does that look like for us? So as a church, we've tried to program some of this to help people understand what this looks like. So whether it's moving towards something like Safe Families or CASA, where you're advocating for kids and families in need, so, so you're intentionally choosing to undergo uh, in, into a program where you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this to make sure God stretches me in exercising grace. I would also say in our Everyday Faith Study Guide, is when you meet with God and you study your word, it's like you're creating space in your day to connect with God. And that is, that is creating space for him to practice grace in your life yeah. for who you are and what you've done. Um, the, a, just a couple other things that I, I said on Sunday is, is maybe it's just texting someone and any part of your office and saying, Hey, can I pick up coffee for you uh, this, this morning? Or, Hey, can I, you know, why don't you come over to, to dinner this, this week and just, or go out to, to eat after work or, or something like that. And he, and I know that those involve a level of finances. So even, even if you don't have a level of finances, think about some ways that you can get creative to bless others in your life that leads to conversation. And what you've done is, is you've done something for them, uh, so that, that you can exercise a level of just grace and building relationship in their life. So those, those are some practical things that I would, I would share with people 
in order who want to get better at doing that. And one of the hardest things that you may have to do is if you're like, okay, I'm going to schedule dinner with someone and you look at your schedule and you say, I have no night of the week that's open. One of the first things you may have to do is you have to maybe cut some good stuff out so you can create some space so that then you can exercise grace. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I, I like that. And I even liked how you made the connection of sometimes we have to make room for grace, even for ourselves. Thanks for joining us this week on the Gym Church Midweek Podcast. If you find these videos helpful and encouraging, we encourage you to go ahead and like, share, and subscribe to these. We love to continue to connect with you each and every week. And if you're watching on Google or our Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, leave us a review or even just send us a message with an encouraging note or maybe a question which you have that we can talk about on here. Let's go and make our faith an everyday faith and begin to create some room for grace in our own life. See you all next week. Thank you.